0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Scientist Soundwaves. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Shreya Kumar. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Shreya.
1: My pleasure.
0: So a little bit about Dr. Shreya. She is an assistant teaching professor in the computer science and engineering department at the University of Notre Dame. She's a software engineer with interest in human-computer interaction and focuses on team communication in software development and understanding barriers to technology adoption faced by digital novice communities like senior citizens. Dr. Kumar recently has also been interested in exploring how computing ethics should be integrated into the computing curriculum. Okay, so Dr. Kumar, most of our uh, listeners only have a vague understanding of the intersection of computing and ethics. Another one of your heavy interests includes Geron technology. So we were wondering if you would mind kicking off the podcast by introducing this field of study to our audience and the necessity of learning about this study and researching it. Oh, sure, sure.
1: I would love to. Uh, Well, first of all, yeah, the gerund technology is this very complex sounding term, but really it's a very simple concept, which is just technology for folks who are older, And by older, that doesn't always translate to people who are new to technology. But so that's why we use terms like older and then more accurate terms like digital novice or digital native. So, of course, most kids today, so much exposure to technology that many things are first taught to them with the use of technology, like, whereas... For a lot of folks who are uh, older, they may have had computing experience and exposure in their jobs, but the the world of social media and the world of doing normal things online, like shopping, like buying groceries and all, that is not something that comes normally to them. So a lot of the things that they depended on for just daily life has is being taken. Away from the way they used to access it, and certainly the pandemic has made that has uh, exacerbated that, and and have been moved to ways that are convenient for most people, but can be um, overwhelming in, in terms of lack of access for a lot. That's that's one part of the problem. So, general technology is really studying how uh, technology can be used to serve folks of a certain age and above or certain uh, comfort with computing and above? And also how can can their access to technology that everybody uses be improved? And uh, how do we make sure we remember them when we are building things and we don't intentionally or unintentionally exclude them? So the problem really starts with, we have a good thing is we have a population in the world that is aging which means uh, people are living longer. And that's that's definitely a positive thing. But a side effect of that is many folks as they, uh, as they age are not going to have the same kind of support that age can start to demand, whether that's support in terms of health, whether that's support in terms of uh, emotional f- uh, family connections, whether that's support in terms of just the logistics of living, like how to pay bills and how to connect with your local politicians or how to watch TV, right? So sharing technology really is this big, very big umbrella term that focuses on how do we build a world that supports them? How do we also make sure that we not exclude them and we build newer technologies that uh, help bridge that same gap for them? They shouldn't be afterthoughts in our process of building a world that's computing heavy and technology heavy.
0: All right. Thank you so much for briefing the audience on the importance of of inclusion of um, digitally novice communities such as senior citizens when it comes to technology. So um, another one of your field of interest is ethics and computing. So one one of the ethical issues with AI and reason as to the cause of why people are sort of reluctant to use AI is its bias towards women and people of color when selecting potential candidates for jobs and bias when predicting the likelihood of criminals committing more crimes in the future. What's your take on a solution to this? And do you think AI should be used in such sensitive situations in the first place?
1: That's a really, really great question. It's a great question. Not just because it's an interesting thought experiment, but also because it's a question that's very pertinent right now. Uh, so we already have across the country, we have in different parts of the world, we have police departments using facial recognition software to to try to identify suspects. We have court systems, um, judicial systems using sentencing guidelines produced by AI systems. And these are just the ones that we, we think about explicitly. There are lots of things that we use that internally are using mini AIs, and we're not aware of what really is the data that we're consuming, which is the output of those AIs. So, so I'll say yes, absolutely. It's a relevant question, because it's a huge problem. And I think before we talk about the solutions to it, it's important to understand really what the problem is. So the problem isn't that AI is inherently bad. The problem is that we don't we've started using AIs without understanding what it really does. So if uh, if people understand that most AIs, or rather most suggesters and predictors uh, that we're using, because there are different types of AIs that we use, all they do is they try to scan data and extrapolate trends within that data. Some of those trends make sense and some of those trends absolutely don't make sense. Or some of those trends are indicative of existing systemic gender or racial problems and disparities. And if we take that same data and then let an AI learn from it, all it will do is extrapolate from it the same verities, and, and if we just start using it and saying, hey, it's a computer, it knows what it's doing and don't question the results that come out of it and don't understand that that's really the best that the AI can do, right? Is take, take something and extrapolate. So we, uh, So there's different aspects to a solution. One is we really should question where it's being used, who is using it, Uh, Because the use has already started uh, without the understanding that should accompany that use, right? It's like if people were using guns, but they didn't know that bullets could kill people, right? It's like, oh, here's a toy. Uh, It shoots bullets. And uh, here's a place where you where you pull the trigger. And, uh, and if we just started handing those out and nobody understood that this could kill someone if pointed at a person the, the right way, what we're handing out is very dangerous technology. What's dangerous about it is how we don't understand it. And what's even more dangerous about it maybe is that it seems so innocuous. Right, it's like, oh, it would take us so long to go through the sentencing guidelines that have been in place. Why don't we just use an AI to do that? So I'm not saying we shouldn't use AIs. I'm saying we should understand what AIs are. And part of that responsibility lies with computer scientists and computing folks to make sure we explain what it is. Now, in the whole cycle of building things and selling things, there's no incentive for the folks who are making making products to over explain why you shouldn't use that product to the people who, who they wish are gonna buy that product, right? Uh, and then for the people who are buying those products, there's if they personally are not going to be the target of an un, unjust bias that the AI is extrapolating, what is their incentive for wanting to fight that system, and for wanting to not use that system, or for wanting to even ask whether that bias exists in that system. So the problem kind of is that a lot of the players involved are not going to be personally negatively affected, and that creates a very dangerous system, right? And one thing that I tell a lot of my students is sometimes when you have systemic Uh, problems. Over time, laws might change and people might retire. And some of those systems will eventually outgrow some of their older biases. They might incorporate newer biases. But when you put that in an AI, when it goes into a black box that nobody questions what's happening inside the black box, nobody's, uh, nobody's scrutinizing or looking for dangerous incorrect uh, answers that are coming out of that black box, then that those systems might stay forever. So it, it's even worse to have a biased AI than to have a biased person, because eventually those people will get replaced. So so, the, so yes, all I've really done is told you how dangerous the problem is. Part of the problem, part of the solution is education, but also it, the incentive for that needs to come with some possibly regulation so if if governments or uh, industry standards don't force us to do basically what cars were forced to do with seat belts and what bikes were forced to do with helmets then I doubt that we would actually come to a place where automatically people will start sharing the caveats that should go with the systems that they're selling right Often the people selling the systems aren't the people building the systems also. They're really just selling the positive aspects of it. So if pharmaceutical companies were not forced to list all the side effects in TV ads, they wouldn't. And it's the same kind of thing. We need to to be aware of what is being sold so that it's used appropriately. And I think those are some aspects of a solution. And those are easy to accomplish uh, if there's political and social will. Uh, in, in the immediate future, but then there's larger aspects of the solution that require a reorganization of how we design and build these things in the first place. That's a, that's a long, long-winded long answer to say there are solutions, we just aren't adopting them. <laughs> and then there, there's short-term and long-term solutions and we're not doing enough in any capacity to uh, to be held accountable for the things that we're putting out there.
0: Thank you for the brief towards the audience on how expedient the use of AI is in situations like this and how really, as you said, um, we need social and political will to actually bring about change in areas like this. And let's hope in the future, that's definitely
1: something that comes out. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely the hope. I mean, I'll say the good part about it is there are certain organizations and certain subsets of folks even in industry who want to create a better, more conscious world where AI is used carefully and correctly, instead of just kind of rampantly and haphazardly, which is what it is right now. But it it really takes some of the big voices in the industry, unless companies like Google and Facebook and Apple and Microsoft don't start really being a, a vocal proponent of the necessary safeguards and regulation that needs to be there. I, we don't know if that'll just automatically happen, and which is my way of saying, I, don't, I doubt that that'll automatically happen.
0: Okay, so calling back to one of your projects in um, 2020. In 2020, you co-designed an emergency response system and attempted to find solutions to their six common design problems. Can you please brief the audience on the process of designing the system and any hurdles you and your team might've come across when doing so?
1: I'm trying to remember the uh, emergency response system details. So I'll say my part in the design of the emergency response system was very small in uh, basically helping students who were doing the meat of the work and, and uh, like making sure that their access to technology and questions about technology are answered. The emergency response system is really the work of another professor from my department, uh, uh, which is Professor Jane Cleland Huang, who does really really cool work with drones, and um, and finding ways that drones and groups of drones can. Intelligently partner with uh, with firefighters and other types of emergency responders, so search and rescue and folks like that. So one scenario that they've been working on and are pretty and have a pretty uh, good system for is where they let's say there's a river rescue happening. Someone's fallen overboard. There's a flow of water in the river. So firefighters and search and rescue teams go and know what are all the different places they can look? And so if the type of system they're building is if there were, they they also had a team of drones that on their own understood, okay, this is from from map information, they know where the river is. They also know, okay, this is the area that is the targeted search area. And let's say they now have three drones. And so those three drones can intelligently say, okay, we shouldn't all be looking at exactly the same spot. Let's split up this search area into three spots and uh, and then all three of us simultaneously are looking and then r- possibly increasing the chances of finding somebody and then using computer vision to try to identify. So the drones could sometimes say, oh, okay, this could be a person or maybe it's just like a piece of plastic floating in the water, but I'll bring it to someone's attention. And then there's a human in the loop who probably an emergency responder who typically would do this, but without intelligent drones. And they would say, okay, yes, that is a person, maybe all drones should go and keep their eyes on this person while we send actual people to help. Or sometimes there could even be scenarios where the drones themselves could have some sort of flotation device that they could drop to, uh, to the spot where they think they've identified a victim to be rescued. So I'll say my part in that, it was very, very small in just supporting their work. And it's those folks who are doing really, really cool, amazing work. And I've just described a very tiny subset of the actual system that they're building because there are many different scenarios that they work with. But right, what they want is to help some of the very time critical and dangerous work that the humans who are firefighters and search and rescue folks have to do with the aid of technology where the technology isn't then something that a whole that a firefighter then has to give up their time and then spend all their time just managing the technology so the the technology itself of the drones is a little bit more self-managing that's that's their really cool project
0: okay awesome thank you so much for telling our audience about that Now, our last question is revolved around something we've all grown accustomed to against our will. But regardless, we all had to adapt to the new normal, and that's the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. So this pandemic has led to the dies of contact tracing apps. However, a lot of people are concerned about the lack of privacy these apps bring. What's your take
1: on this? That's a really great question, again, because... And again, I don't want to seem like the voice of doom and gloom, but, but really a lot of these apps and not just the COVID, uh, COVID apps, but uh, most apps out there are not terribly secure. Uh, one, because we don't demand it we just expect it to be. And then when a leak happens and someone's some company's data gets stolen, uh, or like two years later, we find out that, oh, okay, uh, this big company that had all this user accounts, that data got stolen or five million user names and passwords got stolen or something. That's really, we're very reactive when it comes to data privacy. So just like that, the COVID related apps are collecting data and have some probably standard mechanisms for, uh, for security and privacy, but there really aren't systems out there that are, that are as secure as they should be. And because, especially with the things like contact tracing, many people are forced to use these apps, whereas with social media, technically you could still opt out, right? I mean, uh, even though we're getting to a world where it's harder and harder to do that, I mean, even when you go to a job interview, many folks, you know, look at your social, me- look at several of your social media personas and profiles to try to get a picture of you. So if you don't exist anywhere, now, it becomes a diff- now it's starting to become a cultural thing where it's strange when, when someone's not, not on social media. But, but technically, that's still a choice that we make. But when it came to uh, the pandemic and the things we share, like health information and our location information and whom we, whom we associate with that kind of information, it's very sensitive information, all of it. It's not just information like, oh, we like, you know, cat and puppy videos on the Internet. So, yeah, the information is very sensitive. It's being collected and stored in all manner, all different apps everywhere in the world simultaneously. And so it's it creates this very opportune moment for folks who want to be stealing data and want to be doing malicious things with data to, to want to attack those systems. And so yes, using those apps are very necessary for public health. So we should use them because of the purpose that they serve, but we should also at the same time demand that privacy and security and what is done with our data afterwards uh, is there's some sort of transparency about that there's some sort of accountability about that so I'd say yes very necessary technology because the situation the world has found itself in but it also needs to be technology that is the same way accountable for what it actually does and is regulated in some way so use the technology for sure but also know what what it is that we're signing up for in addition to the necessary public health aspects of it
0: yeah i completely agree um with the whole pandemic situation i think a lot of people have forgotten how sensitive their health information actually is and how there should be more outrage on how um, a lot of these companies just have zero transparency on what they do with our data after it's done being processed so that was a very good point thank you so much dr shea and pleasure And that concludes our podcast for Scientist Soundwaves. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one.
1: Excellent. Thank you.